a downturn really shows where you're at in the industry and market share. And so when everything's great, you may own 1% of 100%. But when it goes down, ideally, if you can gain another 1% or 2 or 3%, when the economy goes back up, now you own much bigger pie of a larger market. This is Digital Marketing. Hey, it's Marky Grass here, and I've got a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your site? Seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully retarget your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. So that means that you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. It might sound too good to be true, but trust me, it works. The CEO, Adam Robinson, is brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for digital marketer listeners. If you go through their easy 30-minute onboarding process and haven't 5X your investment within the first six months, they'll give you all of your money back. To take advantage of the offer, go to getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. That's getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. Hey everyone, this is Marky Grass, the President of Digital Marketer, and this is the podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know when it comes to digital marketing, from the platforms you need to be focused on to the cutting-edge tactics and tools that are working today. Today, I have Brad Ball, founder of Art & Creative, an agency with over 20 years in business, which in the marketing world is like a billion years. So welcome, Brad. <laughs> Thank you. It spans before the age of the digital marketing world. It is, Yeah. This is just just marketing. That's that's impressive. So we were talking a little bit before this about just the kind of ups and downs over the last 20 years. And specifically right now, I think there's probably quite a few agency owners, especially after the summer has been kind of slow from... I, I've spoken to dozens of businesses and everybody said like this summer was slow. And I think everybody's kind of feeling that inflation, you know, law changes, the whole, you know, drought. <laughs> so everybody's having all of the stuff thrown at them right now. So I thought we could kind of talk about how you've dealt with some, you know, slower times in the past, inflation and and all that fun stuff. So I think the big thing is, you know, as agencies, it's number one, being agile, being able to anticipate and being able to move. But a lot of times not having all your eggs in one basket. You hear, you know, that may be cliche, but, you know, we are pretty diversified across a lot of different groups. And so for the most part, we've maintained business. And I think overall, our, our revenue on month to month is, it's over last year, but it's inconsistent. Even in the last couple, the summer months can tend to be a little slower, I think in general, because people are on vacation. But, you know, we had one client that, kind of pause some of the work and we're not sure if it's for a month or for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And I thought they're in the financial services world. And I thought, oh, because the markets and everything, you know, it's going to shift. But they're having a pro- they're having a hard time filling in staff to do the work they need to do internally, which means we can't get what we need to do, get what we need to do what we need to do. And this mm-hmm. is more on the development side of things, not marketing. But I think that spans across, you know, all different avenues. Cause if you're if you're having problems internally, then you can't really spend the money to market to get more customers in because you can't fulfill them. And can't so, serve them anyway. yeah, it's just a domino effect. And that's, I think that's really, 
a lot of the things that I try to do is look at dominoes and see, you know, if this one falls, what's going to happen next. And so with that, we made some adjustments and with the team and, you know, what we're going to do in the future. And also just be kind of patient. You know, it's, it's our philosophy is steady growth, be consistent. It doesn't need to be a hockey stick because with, you know, that hockey stick growth, there's always things that you got to make sure are in place. So. No, and I think that's, I mean, that's what we're all dealing with, not just, but that's interesting that you start with the client side, because if you're seeing from your clients, you know, who probably need way less staff than they would if they didn't have an agency like yours involved. But even in that situation, it's kind of stopping your progress in terms of, is it feedback or just direction? It's more for just internally getting approvals, getting information that we need to do our job. And they don't have the team in place to answer those questions or to compile the data that we need to be able to do what we need to do. And so with what we're doing for them, it's rather complicated. I mean, basically in the financial services world, if you have a policy in a certain type of software, you got to maintain that software for life policy and they can't use those softwares anymore. So we wrote APIs to pull out this data into a dashboard that they can use. And so it's across all different platforms, all different departments. And so, you know, if one department's missing key people, then we can't do our job. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's super frustrating. Have you seen something like this in the past, just in terms of, say, the downturns or, you know, I know in 2008, we had the housing bubble and then we had the financial market bubble. And so how did you kind of prepare for that? Or was it more just being flexible and, and adjusting at the time? A lot of us being flexible and being able to adjust. We were smaller at the time. I'd say we were probably 10 employees and now we run roughly 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not necessarily a huge difference, but you know, we take anything from small jobs to Fortune 500 company projects. Mm-hmm. And what that allows us to do is to see a lot of information from a lot of different industries and a lot of different businesses that we can use across all different platforms or businesses. And we can take on a lot of projects that a lot of uh, other people can't. So having design in-house, marketing in-house, development in-house, it really is full service that it creates a, gives us a little different niche that we can maintain ourselves through the life of ups and downs. Because everybody, even in a downturn, needs to market. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they just don't know how to market. And in this day and age, with the influx of everybody on social media, is TikTok the best route is, Facebook or LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn may be great, but then you also hear horror stories like, oh, I didn't convert or do this. Mm-hmm. Same with Facebook or same with any of the uh, demographics. So going back to our customers or clients, what medium is best for them? And since we've been in business so long, that could be a billboard for a dentist. That could be a direct mail piece. And so I think in the downturns, it's <clears throat> capitalizing on your existing clients, number one, because they hopefully have become a fan and advocate of your work. And so hopefully they'll also can refer you to other clients and things like that. So when the economy starts to get tight and work gets slow, then it's time to start making phone calls or just building relationships. Because what happens is we've done this you in the last couple of months. Hey, we had opening our schedule. Is there anything we can do for you? And you'll be surprised at how many people just because you reached out, oh, we need to do X, Y, Z. And if you mm-hmm. hadn't reached out, you wouldn't be able to convert that person. And so a lot of times when we have clients, especially in the marketing world, we're stuck in the monthlies mm-hmm. and doing the monthly work. And we forget 
how can we be proactive with this client? What are other forms of business can we generate for them that they're not thinking about that could then fill in that gap of, oh, this client can't market right now. Mm. But there's this other client that we could add another line or a, a, a funnel, so to speak, that could generate, hey, this is more work and new revenue for this client. I love that. Well, it looks like maybe just doing an analysis, you know, approaching it from that way, like, hey, guys, yes, the market's down, your sales might be down slightly, but, you know, this is just another chance for an opportunity if we work it right. So do you you proactively go to your clients with that prior to them saying like, hey, we need to scale back or we need to not advertise anymore, which is a terrible thing to do, but that's everybody looks at the advertising budget. Oh, we have money here. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> well, like some of it goes into, you know, we have design or if we're building a website, you know, mm. and what we're trying to do now is when we build a website, the goal is to get them into marketing. Our only issue or pain point with that is websites can tend to be a long process and it can be a painful one, depending on how big or, you know, what the site entails. And you don't want that website project in poorly because you want them to market. And so navigating how you communicate to the client through that process. And so we would, before COVID, when we were in the office, we would build websites in one or two days and have the clients come to our office because we could get instant feedback. Our designers build 90, 95% of the website. And that way we eliminated the back and forth. So that was a upsell that we did probably eight or nine years ago. And it was a process change. It's a pain point that they had and we had, let's simplify it. Well, that was a selling point to a lot of customers or even current clients that maybe needed to re-up their website. And Mm -hmm. so, because there's a life cycle of things and it's following those trends. We have a big spreadsheet. I have a project management system too, but for our account managers going through the spreadsheet on a weekly or monthly basis, okay, who have we not contacted and trying to build those relationships. And because generally most things are going like marketing, you're always connecting with them. You're talking to them. Website, not as much because they're just sitting unless you do marketing. And so since we're so broad, that's how we can generate additional revenue by reaching out to some of those more quiet clients and saying, hey, have you thought about this? And so I think that that was kind of a roundabout way, I think, to answer your question. And I just love the approach of like, hey, it's an opportunity, not a, you know, necessarily a. Uh, time for panic or pulling back. Do you actually proactively do that though? Like you have your list of clients, you're like, hey, we're going to approach them with this prior to them saying it's Q4 and my budget's off. And so now we're going to cut stuff. Yeah, for sure. And even we had one client that was having some struggles because they were in an industry that has a lot of niche marketers, let's call them. And let's say it's dental industry. And you, you know, there's tons of, or there's dental, there's probably chiropractors, and that's all they do. And we've shied away from that because back in the day, Google would penalize you for spun content. Mm -hmm. And if you could look at a lot of those type agencies, all they were doing was spinning. I mean, it was a great process. Spun content, rinse and repeat. Spun content, rinse and repeat. And they're all in different demographics, but going through the Google yeses and the no-nos, that was one of them. So we would always do custom content for certain clients. And so we picked up a, a client that has one came from one of those industries. We're more expensive, but we're also trying to create a brand that's recognizable in Dallas Fort Worth because they're more of a local brand. And they didn't want to just be another dentist 
They wanted to be, hey, this is who we are. And that's a little different approach than just, hey, here's a website, let's market it. It's creating a story behind it. It's creating that identity. And once you start to do that and start to get the brand recognition, it may take a little longer than just, hey, we're going to spend a $10,000 in ads, but the longevity of that brand will make a bigger impact one, two, or three years down the line. Yeah, that, that makes a lot so, of sense. And- so in that, um, that shift of the cost was a little more than what they were used to. And so the cost per lead might have been more when you factor all that in. But with some of the stuff we've done recently with Google Performance Max and this brand new campaign we did, the leads have just gone off the charts in comparison to what they were. And so that's coming from that feedback of, okay, who do you want to be? How do we build the campaign around what that looks like? And then look at the analytics. Ah, Love that. Well, I love how it's, you know, you have that approach for the existing clients because there's, you know, easiest way to make money is to keep clients happy, of course. During the downturns, have you ever seen more opportunities in specific industries or segments that were like, oh, it's a downturn. Now is the time to jump on it? And that's a good question. I mean, there are always industries that thrive in downturns. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And the other thing that happens too, depending upon where you're positioned, there's industries that may be paying tons of money right now for marketing that may scale back from huge ad agencies and look at smaller firms. And so in 08, when all that crashed, that's what happened. We would used to do work in 05 to 08, work for other agencies or do you know random type of projects. Well, when 08 happened, we started getting contacts from direct clients. Mm-hmm. And so we eliminated that middleman, so to speak, and, and saw some growth from that specifically. And so it, it comes back down to kind of who your ideal customer is and what's the best way to reach them. And even in any industry, you know, if we talk about dentists, there's, you know, one-shop dentists, and then there's franchises or there's ones that have 50 locations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, depending upon, you know, what your target is, it, if you slow down, you can reach, you know, maybe 10 of the smaller ones off debt, a budget cut of a big one. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah, just kind of changing the the focus slightly. Still doing yep. the same thing you're doing, but just shift it a little bit. I like right. that a lot. So in terms, yeah, you, know, you see a lot of the big businesses right now are laying people off and it's a big driver predictor for small business, I think, because if the big guys are doing it and they have a you know floor of people analyzing the market, you could kind of go off of them. <laughs> it's going to have a ripple effect. Yeah, well, or at least be like, oh, well, they, they seem to know what they're doing. Maybe I should do that too. Have you, when you did have those little little turns, did you reevaluate your team and, and try to make it more efficient or downsize at all? Or was that kind uh, of like a... We're in the process of now of making it efficient. In a way, no, because we we're so small. We had consistent clients and revenue at that point that was pretty stable. Our customers, they're not on for three to six months. They're really three to five to seven years. Like I still have clients from 2002 that still reach out to do work. And so how, and that's part of the the idea of creating a stable business through all the ups and downs of economics or COVID or things like that. It's building a solid foundation because you're going to have ebbs and flows in business, even in good times. It just happens. And so how do you manage that? And I think a stable foundation with a core group of business that you know is consistent is number one, the first thing to do. And then as you scale, you know, you're always adding new business and you're always trying to find new business. 
but bringing those into the fold as advocates. And you'll just see consistent growth from that. And so if I look back over the last 20 years, I've got a spreadsheet that goes from 2005 all the way to today to look at, okay, what's our year over year growth? What's the profit margin? And how does that look? And you can see it's pretty consistent. Let's say 10 to 15% average growth year over year from 2005. It's measurable and it's easy to manage. And so, you know, there there are times when it kind of jumps and then it's stable, but, you know, across the board, it, it works. And I think that's the way to build a stable business through, you know, economic shift. Yeah, love that. Now, now for the say smaller agencies, because I I was actually a broker way back in the day. I think I was in college at the time, and when the downturn happened, this is around two thousand five in the real estate market. You actually saw the big guys, the established realtors, were okay, like they were fine because they've been around forever and they they were everybody knew them and that was fine. What you saw was this big drop off, which I think is about to happen again, of all the. <laughs> new people who just kind of jumped on the bandwagon because they saw it was taking off and then they went away and it actually improved the business of the the established people. Do you, did you, yeah. do you see the same thing? Oh yeah. I see it all the time. And I can give you an example completely. So one of our clients who's back actually when 2000, when I went to freelance, he was one of my first clients. He was a printer and we had the office with him for a while, but he, um, so back originally, he was very good at looking at future trends. And so back in the day, you would have film if you were going to do print. And so you would get film made for your CMYK process, Simon Gentile Black, if you don't know the, the print terms. But And uh, he saw the shift going to direct plate, meaning you print a plate for Simon Gentile Black, and that's how you run. So he went from making film to doing direct to plate and actual printing. Well, in that process, he ended up finding a niche with bands, doing CDs and CD printing. And back in that time frame was, you know, when when the iPhone started coming out, you started to see, (laughs) or actually the iPod, people didn't need CDs anymore. They were just downloading them online. Well, what's going to happen to the CD business? It gets crushed. It goes away. But the replicators went away because they weren't doing high volumes anymore. But bands still needed CDs and they still do today. Why? Because when you go to an event, you have an impulse buy and you buy a CD that's attached to a download. And so his business, when all these replicators were going away, he had built a duplication business that actually grew and is still business today. And this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, actually 15 years ago, I did his first website. He's still running because there's a lot of markets that shut down, but there's still a place that and a need for them. And so he ended up adding a t-shirt part where, you know, buy a CD, get a whole bunch of t-shirts. So he was very agile in the sense of adding new products to what he was offering. But that would be the best example of of when a downturn happened, how just a little shift, and it really goes back to market share, right? And a downturn really shows where you're at in industry and market share. And so when everything's great, you may own 1% of 100%. But when it goes down, ideally, if you can gain another 1% or 2 or 3%, when the economy goes back up, now you own much bigger pie of a larger market. Oh, I love that. Hey, Ryan Dice here. 
You know, it's been a while since I've run the day-to-day for Digital Marketer, the company that Roland and I are partners in. Fortunately, we have a great team and great partners who help us with all that nitty-gritty stuff now. But the one thing that we focused on while I was there and the one thing the team still focuses on to this day is optimizing everything. I'm talking testing everything from the sales copy to the color of the checkout button. Testing like this can have a huge impact on your bottom line, but the truth is it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. And half the time we were just throwing stuff against the wall just to kind of see what's stuck. But the good news is you don't have to figure everything out on your own anymore. And that's because our friends at Conversion Fanatics have optimized hundreds of sites in all types of industries from small startups to Fortune 500s. And now they can handle all your testing and optimization for you too. So if you feel stuck when it comes to optimizing your website, go and visit conversionfanatics.com and they'll give you a list of custom suggestions to optimize your site 100% free. Once again, you can find them at conversionfanatics.com. Well, I love the the concept of a shift versus a pivot, you know, because everybody talks about pivots when COVID hit and yeah. it's kind of like, Maybe you didn't need to pivot that hard. Pivot's a little... You, I'm going to throw this name out there because you might know him. Do you know Mark Anthony? The celebrity? No, he, he's, a, he's a worm guy and he, he goes to TNC. And uh, yeah. so we were actually at the last TNC and we were talking about pivot. He goes, I hate pivot. And he's using it in basketball terms. When you pivot, what do you do? Shift you just turn. You're, <laughs> you're, you stay in one spot. You're, you change perspective, but your foot never moves. And he said, I like shoot or pass because now you're doing something. So don't use pivot, but make a movement towards something. And so I've kept that in my mind. I still use pivot from time to time just because it's so ingrained into <laughs> what we do. But it's true. In, in times like this, it's do something and make a change and make a shift. And that happens in sports all the time. You got to shift on offense, especially, you know, you'll run motion and football and, you know, the, to try to change things up to move forward. I think the same thing applies in, in business as well. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. As long as you're not, you know, staying still, that's how you get run over. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, uh, I was, did you play football at all? No, I played water polo. Oh, that's an interesting that's sport. One. So in, I remember in little league, I, I played running back and there was this big guy. I mean, you know, if he was six foot, I was like five, five. And just a monster of a guy. And my coach told him, don't be afraid of him. When he comes at you, you hit him. You lean into him. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest advice I had as a football player because you're initiating a contact. And so you're less likely to get injured. And it's the same thing in business is that you initiate the, the contact. You initiate that move forward. Are there times that you may fail or hit a wall? Yes. But that's the point of doing it to the learning experience. If you don't do it, you're not going to learn and you're not going to get to the other side. Awesome. Well, in that vein of kind of shifting, I know we were talking about how actually Digital Marketer did it after 2020. We kind of went from a completely in office. They, you know, Digital Marketer had this giant office in Austin and it had 50 people on hand at any given time and mm-hmm. whole 
as in person as you could get. And then, like, off <laughs> oh yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was all built out, cool stuff everywhere. But after that, they kind of, okay, everyone went away and it was never the intent to go fully remote. But after so many months went by, they're like, you know what? I think we could do fully remote. So now we've shifted to this fully remote model. And I know, uh, you know, there's some some pains that go along with that, but I know you're you're in the process of doing that right now or a hybrid version. Well, we were, I mean, we were in the office, everybody. That was one selling point was, you know, we have in-house designers, developers, marketers all in our office. And then COVID hit, we were already prepared to go remote because the previous Christmas for two weeks, we let everybody work remote. They were all on laptops. They all had connections to our file server. I was actually on a cruise ship when every. I was the last boat in to port. And then my business partner calls me and said, hey, we're going to go remote for the next two weeks. Before it was announced that, hey, everybody's going to get quarantined. And so that's what we did. And we never have gone back. I go in the office. We had somebody go in every day. And Tyson's now gone fully remote. But I'll go in a couple times a week, mainly for mail or whatnot. But the thing that we're trying to look at now is our office lease, we got rid of half of our office and then we kept the office because we still have meetings, more client meetings and still needed them mailbox. And they were also a client who owned the space. So it's like, I can't just completely cut them off. But that lease runs out in October. And so, okay, what's our next step? Well, we have 3,500 square feet. Let's cut it back to 1,500 maybe. I can reduce my cost to maybe a fourth of what they were. Wow. And so I can do a lot more, <laughs> a lot more with, let's say, six figures of rent that can go into, you know, additional employees, all kinds of things that we can do with that money. Big parties, because the hard thing that we're navigating is the culture aspect. We had a really good mm-hmm. culture. How do you build a culture in a remote workforce? So we'll have breakout sessions on Zoom, which is fine. You know, you can have one-on-one conversations. <clears throat> we'll also do our account managers just got back or had an outing on Tuesday where they did some training and then they did candle making. It's <laughs> something fun that they could do together. We can do cool events like that, that build camaraderie and teamwork outside of a normal office environment. Oh, that's awesome. we'll, still, we'll maintain an office on a smaller scale, but also looking at the option of maybe two days a week, our designers come in for five hours to collaborate and work together, to challenge each other, to build that unity, so to speak that I don't think you get from a remote, completely remote workforce. And so that's what I'm looking at is somewhat of a hybrid. We still only need a small amount of space because half of our developers are abroad now anyway. So, mm. But the cool thing is with the remote workforce and with our team, if you get your work done, you could be on a beach. I don't care <laughs> as long as you get your work done. No, that's that's why I tell all of my employees too. We're just like now, as long as you're getting your projects done, that's all I care about. Now, if you're not available and you're not getting your projects done, then we're going to have to have a talk about that. Uh, but but I will give you one piece of advice that actually really helped us because we were fully remote and didn't have any meetings in person for. I mean, I, I've been here for about a year and some change, but probably for nine months, but we didn't have any. Yeah in-person meetings and then we decided in june that we were going to do a company meetup where we actually flew everybody in and we said we're going to sit in a room we're going to you know work on our processes and teamwork and and then we'll you know do a company party that kind of thing and it helped a ton you know it was like night and day in terms of like before the meeting 
And then after the meeting, like there was a tangible difference in terms of like the teamwork, the processes improved, like, and this wasn't just in marketing because we have, you know, all the different departments, but it, it made a huge difference. So I, yeah. I definitely suggest that. So we're trying to at least, at least weekly or month, we're doing at least monthly department, like designer all getting together. And there's a group that meet every Tuesday at the office and mm. kind of do that now. But I think one of the last outings, the designers did something and they did axe throwing. And it was probably 10 of the employees. And there was some carryover. But that kind of thing, we haven't just done it across the company yet, just because we, we still have the office space. But yeah, that's the idea. You bring somebody in, you have a day of training or collaboration, and then do something fun. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, going to like a TNC event and you got all this learning experience and then there's these parties. And a lot of times you build relationships and camaraderie with just people at the event. And you can do that same thing internally, which it sounds like that's what a digital marketer has done for their employees. Yes. And that, that's been super effective and kind of got everybody, re, you know, it felt like just a refresher, like, hey, here's what we're all about. And so moving forward, I think we have a plan. We were originally talking about quarterly, but then that gets expensive and and just planning the event is not like because it was a two day event and it's like oh it's only two days but you got to do the hotels and you have to do uh -huh. space and then you have to do the presentations and it takes about a week to execute even if it's only two days but so now we're planning on i think twice a year is what we're aiming for so i think it's june and december and so after that yeah. happens i can probably no, I think an article about it yeah i think that's a great a great approach because the remote workforce isn't going away anytime soon I mean, I think it, it's you're, when you hear sharks on Shark Tank talk about it, you know, it's a complete shift in our culture. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're pretty conservative, I would say, when it comes mm -hmm. to like radical shifts in business models. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, there are many drawbacks of, of remote working versus working in person all the time. I think it's still to be seen like what what happens. But one thing you get with the remote workforce, just like outsourcing out of country is just the a bigger pool of people who, if you're in a expensive area where you're in Dallas, we're in Austin. And prior to this, I was in California where it's like the, everything's super expensive. So being able to take those people who live in less expensive areas, you could actually pay a little bit less for the same work and they're still satisfied because the cost of living is less. So yeah. have you seen the same thing or most of your people within the area? Most of the people are in Dallas Fort and, and the cost of living has been reasonable here. So we can, and that, and that's probably another factor in terms of being agile and being able to take on different clients is that, you know, I'm not paying New York agency or designer rates. You know, we're in Texas, so it, I can do things for cheaper than some places in California or New York or Chicago or wherever. Now that's quickly changing, but definitely I'd say the biggest pain point for us in hiring designers, we can find all day long. Marketers, you can, some of you can just find a marketer, you know, or at least they Claim to be a marketer. <laughs> the hardest thing for us is good developers that, you know, because you get resumes, though, they can do X, Y, Z, but unless you really know code, you don't know really how good the code is or not. And so I've got a couple of really good high end developers that, you know, got tons of interviews and just couldn't find the right people. And we found a firm that kind of headhunted and found us some in South America. And uh, that was on our time zone, spoke good English. And that was really our first. And this was a year ago because we tried all over the world just testing it out. And it never worked in terms of hiring another firm to do some grunt work that our team didn't have time for. And we ended up re rewriting the code from scratch. 
And so these guys are really good. And so that was a good experience. That's the hardest thing for us to find were really good developers. Yeah, I could, I can understand that. I mean, so many of them have so many quirks to their coding, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like a language that's too flexible. And then you mm-hmm. have the only person who could read or speak it is that one person who made it. I actually, yeah. I worked for a tech company back when I, I first got out of college and that was it. It was just like the developers were just like, he'd start from scratch every time you got a new one because they would yeah. have their own way of doing things. And there's no way that they leave little traps in there too. I forget what you call them. Uh, back doors, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> old, but yeah. And, and then, then if you challenge them or, or they'll talk above your head mm-hmm. in technical terms. And my business partner is much more technical. I'm more on the design side. And so he could talk their lingo, but he could also, developers think very differently than business owners. And mm-hmm. sometimes communicating what you actually need is hard. And so he's very good at that and getting them to see things from a simpler view because they always think of the worst case scenario first. The most complicated thing to do first when a lot of times there's a simpler thing <laughs> that's the issue. And, and so do this and this and this and this are like, no, stop. I want it to be red, not blue. <laughs> yeah, that's the hardest thing. But that's that's been our biggest pain point. You know, in terms of hiring and training, I mean, those are pretty straightforward. You know, once you build your processes out, you know, we recently had to design, hire a designer recently. And within a month, she's sending things off to print. And so, you know, high res, which is always a scary thing to do. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, mistakes. <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> You make that mistake once, you're never going to do it again. And so we're okay with you making mistakes as long as you learn from it. Now, if it's going to cost me a lot of money in that mistake, which printing does, that's, we have a little more protocols in place to hopefully minimize that. But it can happen. That's awesome. Well, I think that's, you know, it's good to hear just that hey, you've kind of developed over the last, you know, 20 years and gone through the ups and downs, but really, you know, having a consistent business and having those evaluations and looking for those opportunities, even when things are bad, is an excellent way to approach, you know, long-term agency ownership, which I got I to come up with a stat. Maybe we'll do a survey of the CPs to come up with like, here's how many, here's the average lifespan of an agency. Cause it's not, it's not long. A lot of people leave. No. The biz. Well, I was thinking this the other, and this is one thing you hear a lot about LTV, lifetime value, right? And I was, I was looking at this one business too. I think they sold, and their lifetime value, I think, was like six months. But they had a process, and they were just in and out, in and out, just turn. I'm like, that business doesn't seem valuable to me. And it sold for a lot of money, but three years, five years, eight years that's a much more consistent lifetime value of a client. And as agencies, how do you build uh, a longer value out of a client? What are those things that you can do? Because as marketing, you know, you do three months of marketing, it's great. And then all of a sudden there's a drop. What happens? It's your fault. I'm going to go try somebody else. <laughs> if, if it's going great and they're making money, what also happens is, oh, you're doing great. We're going to bring it in health because we don't need you anymore. <laughs> It's like, you've done a great job. Now I'm fired because of it, which we've had both of those happen, right? Mm-hmm. But we've also had some of those people that leave that have come back for different things. And so when I think one of our sticky things is the fact that we build the websites of clients, you know, they may shift to something else for one thing, but they're always coming back for the web or, and then the relationship never ends. And so if something goes sideways, what they end up calling us because we're those experts. We built a relationship of trust with them 
that they don't leave. Well, I think that's what you want. And I think it, it changes your whole perspective of the, the marketing process because it goes from this temporary product to something that's a you know long-term necessity and yeah. possible to replace, which mm-hmm. is the ideal scenario. Well, and Facebook and Google and everybody's changing the rules year over year, right? So how do you build a longer revenue stream from these existing clients? Because it's going to change. Yeah. And then you got relationship and mm-hmm. development and, you know, pivoting all over the place. Pivoting yes. everywhere. <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Brad. I think that's really valuable information. And it, it's good to hear from somebody who's been in the business for so long and, and is still successful and isn't, you know, freaking out when things start going less than ideal, which is kind of what we have right now. This is opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity here. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a, you know, drawback. It's a, it's a chance. Game market share, no matter what industry you're in. Love it. So where can people learn more about you and, and your business? The company is Argent Creative, argentcreative.com. And then easywaybradball.com. There's links to a couple of things there. Plus just some personal stuff about me. So those are the two best places to I'm also on social media. I am Brad Baller on my handles. So oh, good. I like that. It used to be Brad Ball Art because my degree is painting and drawing, but yeah. some people got confused and thought it was Brad Ball Art, not Brad Ball. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I just said also I am Brad Ball. Nice. Uh, that's a that's a good way to address the problem. Pivoting again. Uh, <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Brad. Really appreciate it. And uh, definitely have to have you on again soon. I think we have plenty of topics to talk about. Man, that's great. Anytime. So thanks so much for listening. Be sure to hit that follow button so you get notified when all of our new episodes release. Please be sure to share it with that friend who is clueless about digital marketing. And don't forget to visit digitalmarket.com where you can access all of our courses, certifications, and training programs. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time. This is Digital Marketer. Hey, DM listeners. If you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up. Because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.